I'd like to ask you a question. What do you believe? What is it that you hold as dogma in your life? Now, I looked up the definition of dogma because I wasn't sure myself. And the definition of dogma in the dictionary is a principle or a set of principles held by an authority as incontrovertibly true. It's essentially the thing, the foundational knowledge on which you build your life. Like a mathematician builds their life, at least at the beginning, on 1 plus 1 equals 2. And they build that foundation of knowledge. What is that foundational understanding of what is true that you have built your life on? Again, listen to that definition. It's a principle, a dogma is a principle or a set of principles held by a certain authority as incontrovertibly true. So the real question is, who or what is your authority? Where is your authority? Is your heart your authority? Is it your intuition or even your stomach? It's probably more the case for me. Is your authority the, the approval or consensus of your friends? Is your authority your mind? Or is it science? What is your authority? Who is your authority? Who do you listen to in this world? Now, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Galatians in the scripture that we're looking at today, to a church in Galatia that he had founded years before. And this church was a new church. It was a vibrant church. It was a raw church. Things were different at this church. It was made up of a bunch of people who were not of Jewish ancestry or tradition. In fact, the, the Galatian peoples were probably nomadic tribes that hundreds of years earlier had come into the area from the Gauls or the Celtic peoples. They were wild. They were free thinkers. They had their own ideas about things. And they definitely had a distinct identity that would have looked very different than the people in Jerusalem. And I started a church 10 years ago, a new church, and it was vibrant and it was alive and there was this tangible momentum and this newness about everything. Everything was raw and real. And I'm sure that that ministry in Galatia had the same kind of momentum and realness to it. And it was thriving And their primary ministry would have been to people who did not know that there was a God that loved them unconditionally. Never heard that. And their primary ministry would have been to people who had never heard of Jesus Christ, or if they had, they had no idea about who he really was. Or it was to people, at least, who had very little, if almost no knowledge of Jewish traditions. And you get the sense that they were actively engaged in ministry. Until something happened. Until this group of Christ followers from the establishment church in Jerusalem came in and saw what they were doing. They saw the sign that they wanted to put above the door like we do here, the sign that says, no perfect people allowed. They didn't like that. 
Or maybe they didn't like the motto of the church. It might have been similar to Robert Schuller's motto. Remember his Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove? He sent out an invitation to the whole entire city, and you know what he said? Come as you are. Anybody know the rest? In the family car. They didn't like that. They didn't like the come as you are. You're accepted as you are. Just come be yourself. In fact, what they saw is they saw a church that just didn't look like the church in Jerusalem, and they saw a people that didn't look like the people of Israel. They didn't look like the Christ followers from the establishment church in Jerusalem. And you know what they said? They told these people, they said, you're not a church at all because you don't look like the church in Jerusalem, and you're not actually Christ followers at all because you don't look like the Christ followers in Jerusalem. And Paul tells us that there was this confusion that had been brewing up as a result of what they had said. And this, these establishment Christ followers from Jerusalem said, they said, the way that you're going to truly be a Christ follower is you're going to change the outside of yourself. And the best way to start that is for all the men in, to get in a line and to uh, undergo male circumcision, which doesn't sound like the greatest evangelism strategy. And Paul says so. And I don't know about you, but I can understand the Galatian church and their hesitation saying, I'm not sure whether I'm ready to accept this new dogma, this new set of principles attached to an incontrovertible truth, and the authority seems to be the church in Jerusalem. So Paul hears about this. He hears about these people that went into this church that he loved and that he had started and planted, and he writes this letter to these people who are in confusion about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Listen to our scripture as it's written in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 11 through 24. It's in your bulletins. I encourage you to read along. This is the second half of the introduction of the letter. Listen to the words of Paul. Paul says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, nor did I receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism— I was violently persecuting the church of God, and I was trying to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism far beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him to the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Peter, Cephas, and I stayed with him for only 15 days. But I didn't see any other apostle except, well, James, James, the, the brother of Jesus. 
what I'm writing to you before God, I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of the Jewish Christians, the Jewish Christ followers that are in, the churches of Judah, Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's an interesting last line, isn't it, that Paul would have heard the rumors about his ministry that had been circulated all the way to the, the Christ followers from Jewish tradition, saying, the one who was formerly persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith that he once tried to destroy. See, Paul has this amazing, amazing story with his life. He seems to be going one direction consistently his whole entire life. And then suddenly he goes a completely different direction. Oh, the opposite direction. And what is amazing and I think admirable about people who have stories like this is that in order to start going the opposite direction, there needs to be an admission that you were going the wrong direction to begin with. It's like us guys when we're sure in the car that we're going the right direction and our spouse tells us, you know, you're going the wrong direction. There's humility. There's honesty. There's truth. I have a friend that made a pivotal and public mistake in his life recently. And I have been walking with him through the recovery process. It's been about, well, a long time. And he said that the moment that his misjudgments had been made known public was the lowest moment of his entire life. But he says, since then, because the truth was brought into the light, the truth about him, he has experienced a kind of connection in his personal life, in his public life, that he never could have ever achieved had he continued down the same path. In 2005, Steve Jobs gave the commencement speech to the Stanford graduates. And in that speech, he said that the hardest part of his life, the most difficult time in his life was the time when he was fired from the company that he had started. He was fired from Apple computers, kicked out on the curb. And he said the hardest part was that it was so public. It was just out there for everybody to see how much he had failed in life. And he really felt that he had let so many people down because he had reached a certain place in his life, a certain level of achievement and a level of opportunity in front of him that hardly anyone in this world has ever experienced before. And he really felt that he had let down so many people that he would never be able to get back on track. You see, Paul had achieved so much in his life. He was one of the best students anyone had ever seen. His teacher was like the then equivalent of Stephen Hawking, if you were studying astrophysics. Astrophysics. Is that even right? But 50 JPL people just nodded their head. Thank you. 
Gamaliel was the best teacher of the law. Wonderful teacher. And, and the scripture today, Paul says, he was far more zealous for the traditions of his ancestors than any of the other people among his age, that he just tried harder and worked harder. Earlier in the scripture, right before the verses that we read today, Paul says, for am I trying to please people anymore? I'm not trying to please people. I'm not trying to conform anymore to what the world wants me to be. You get this sense that Paul had tried to be everything that the world had wanted him to be in his life. He had tried to excel in academics. He had tried to become this figure for justice and, and truth. And he went around Jerusalem arresting anybody that thought differently than he, than he thought trying to stand up for what was right. What he didn't realize that in the process of trying to climb the ladder that the world had set before him, he had become a monstrosity and not the person that God had created him. And you have to zero in on that word in our scripture today. Called him by grace to be. Paul must have been so infuriated by the reports, not just infuriated, grieved by the reports of what those establishment Christ followers from Jerusalem were saying in that little, wonderful new church in Galatia. See, they were going in and saying that the church needed to look exactly like the church in Jerusalem, that it had to conform in every single way, and that the people of Galatia needed to look exactly like the people of Israel, but Paul said, that's not the gospel that I proclaim to you at all. He said, the gospel that I proclaim to you was a gospel of acceptance, is a gospel of reality and truth. It was a gospel of welcoming, in, welcoming you into the love of Jesus Christ. Paul introduced them to a Savior who had come not to conform them to the world, but to unmask the dogmas of the world and to show them for the true hollow fashion show that they had become rather than the pervasive transformation that God was seeking of the inner being. In Steve Jobs' speech to the graduates in 2005 of Stanford University, he said these words, Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living the result of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your inner voice, and most important, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition. The church in Galatia was caught in a conundrum. They had these people, these, uh, these, uh, these followers of Christ who were from the establishment church in Jerusalem, who were saying that they had all the authority and that, that the people of Galatia should listen to them. And then they had the Apostle Paul, who had lived this very unorthodox life, saying, you're going to want to listen to what I'm saying. And they didn't know which authority they should trust. But do you know how Paul went from the person who was formerly persecuting us to the person who was proclaiming the faith that he once tried to destroy? After he had graduated or, or matriculated from his time with Gamaliel, he then became this zealot 
going throughout Jerusalem, arresting people house to house. He even stood by at the execution, the mob-style execution of Stephen, a great Christ follower. And he did nothing. He actually condoned what was happening as every, every person there picked up a stone. Imagine yourself picking up a stone and throwing it at Stephen, pulverizing his body with thousands and thousands of stones until he died. And if you read the scriptures in Acts, you'll notice that this moment was like some kind of firestorm in Paul's life, and he became enraged. And he went throughout Jerusalem arresting everybody he could, all the Christians that he could, and stealing them, kidnapping them from their households, and and causing the Christians in Jerusalem to flee all over the world, to run out of the city like refugees. And then when he felt that he had done as much as he could do in Jerusalem, he was headed off to widen his reign of terror in the town of Damascus. And he was determined. And he started walking down that road with this understanding of how life was. Everything was clear to him. He knew his purpose. And then a blinding light came from heaven. That's all it took. A blinding light from heaven and a voice saying, Why are you persecuting me. Well, Paul said, who are you? And the voice said, I am the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was blinded for three days, and when he regained his sight, he went into the temples, and he preached sermons that nobody had ever heard before. I mean, amazing sermons about Jesus Christ. See, what Paul was saying is that his life had been dramatically and incontrovertibly changed because he encountered the living Jesus. And in just a few words with the living Jesus, in just a moment of clarity of who Jesus is and who he is, everything fell into place. Now, yesterday I was doing this wedding rehearsal in here for a wedding that's happening later today, and it a gentleman, an elderly gentleman, came into the room, and he stood at the edge. He had a big telephoto lens, and I asked him what his name was, and he said his name was Bruce Barnes. Does anyone know that name? Bruce Barnes grew up in this church, and one of the most beloved people in his life, he said, was Dr. Reverend Dr. Crop, who was a pastor who preached from this pulpit. Bruce Barnes said that when Dr. Crop talked about Jesus, it was you just felt Jesus was coming alive right there. I talked to Bruce Barnes, and I said, when you reached the lowest moments in your life, what was it that helped you move forward in those moments? And without a hesitation, he bowed his head, and he said, dear God, I need you. I really need you right now. And I know that you have the power to come into my life and to rescue me from the darkness and everything else. Rescue me, God. Before I ever thought preaching would be something that I could ever do, I went on a trip with the church to Trinidad and Tobago. And on that little trip, there was a plan to visit a youth prison, a young men's prison and to tell them about Jesus. So I said, well, I've never done anything like that before. I'll go along. Then they nominated me to give the sermon, (laughs) to give the message to these kids. 
And I thought to myself, I don't have what it takes to tell people about Jesus. I, I don't know the Bible backward and forward. I don't know everything there is to know. In fact, I don't even live a perfect life. I mean, I know Jesus. I have a personal relationship, but that's probably it. And that's when I realized that's probably enough. And I stood in front of those young men and I said, we don't really have a lot in common. There's a lot of differences between us and our worlds. You come from backgrounds that I could never imagine. And I said, but I do remember a time when I went off to school and I was only 16 years old, kind of a young time to go off to school. And I was in my dormitory and the lights went out and I was in my bunk bed and I was so alone. I'd never felt so alone in my whole life. And I was scared. And I didn't really know who I was and I was trying to figure out what was going on. And I said, I remember then that I started to pray to Jesus. I just talked to Jesus. And I told them that when I did that, something changed in my life in terms of my understanding of who Jesus was and who I was. And I told them, I said, you know, I know there's a lot of reputations that probably exist inside of a young men's prison. But later tonight, when the lights go off, you'll have an opportunity to talk to Jesus, and no one will know. Just think about it. You have nothing to lose. Just start that conversation with Jesus. And allow your heart to receive Jesus and his words and his encouragement and his love. See, that's all I ever did. That's all Paul ever did, and that's all anybody ever needs to do. No magic potion, no spell, no three-step, ten-step, twelve-step process. It's really quite simple. To be a Christ follower, you just need to encounter the living Christ in your life by welcoming Him in, in His love. Because once the love of Christ comes rushing in, that's when the new life begins. And that's what we do here. We gather around the table. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and the night that He had been arrested, before that, the next day He was crucified, before that, He met with His disciples around the table. And... He had a meal, and he established something. He set up a dogma. He, he, he ushered forth the commandment. He said, look, you guys are going to have a lot of different things going on in your life. You're going to have a lot, of, a lot of different stories, a lot of different backgrounds. You're going to have a lot of different things that you've done. But he said, this needs to be a common thing. You need to meet at the table regularly. And you need to remember me. You need to remember my love. And there may never be anything really that you have in common, but he said this you will have in common. And on that night, he met with his disciples at the table and he took the bread that was before them. And, and just, it could have been small bread like this. It didn't have to be big bread, but he took the bread. Yeah. 
And he said, this bread is my body. He said, I'm this real. I'll always be this real in your life. I'll be so real that you can touch me, that you can experience me, that you can, that you can worship me, and that you can know me. Here's a bigger piece. Thank you so much. But then he said, my body is broken for you. It's broken for all mankind so that every person on the face of the earth can experience and know the depth of my love for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me.